Our sermon text this morning is Genesis 28, verses 10 through 22. If you would begin turning there in your Bible or a bulletin and stand, uh, actually don't stand yet, I want to make a couple of comments. Genesis 28, 10 through 22. Uh, this morning we continue to look at the life of Jacob. <clears throat> this is Abraham's grandson and uh, we're going to look at the work that God's doing in his life. Before we read our text, I want to remind you where we are in Jacob's story. Jacob has just swindled his brother out of his birthright and in cahoots with his mom, lied to and tricked his father, stolen a blessing from his brother, right? And he's blasphemed the name of God in the process. And now Jacob finds himself running. Two intricately woven motivations drive Jacob from the promised land. One, he's leaving home to find a wife in Haran. But we know that's not uh, the only reason that he's leaving. He's leaving because his brother Esau is planning to kill him. So that's where we are this morning as we turn to Genesis 28. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Genesis 28, verse 10. Hear now the word of the Lord. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed and behold, there was a ladder set upon the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and he set it up for a pillar and he poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word that you have given to us. Thank you that you reveal truth to your people, that you do not leave us as wanderers without a guide. Wanderers without a God. But you reveal yourself as merciful and loving and the God who never leaves. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. 
Is the world a safe place for the kind of person you are? We all know there are dangers in the world. There are dangers, in, there are dangerous places in our cities. There are dangerous places in our wilderness. My family and I will be traveling to Yellowstone later this summer. It's a beautiful place. But there is much about Yellowstone that is not safe for the kind of person I am. The kind of person who will lose every bout with a charging bison. The kind of person who will lose every race with an angry elk. The kind of person whose strength and speed are no match for a mama grizzly. Yellowstone is not a safe place for the kind of person I am. And that's why we'll take every precaution when we're there. You know, Jacob and Jacob's like you and me, we have a bigger problem. And it's one that can't be mitigated by obeying safe wildlife viewing distances or by staying in the car. You see, there's, a, there's another more serious danger in this world than bandits and bears. That danger is a holy God. The world is not a safe place for scoundrels like you and me. Jacob is on the run from his brother, but he's running right into a far greater danger. The very presence of the God whom he has just blasphemed. But praise God for what we're about to see. This holy God is also merciful. This God is also loving. This holy God is also the God who keeps his promises. I thank God for Jacob. Because the life of Jacob gives me an unfailing hope and confidence that the mercy of God, that his gracious love is still for me, even for me and for you. And this morning, as we look at this text, I want us to see three aspects of this event in Jacob's life. Three things Jacob begins to see. The world as it really is. God as he really is. And Jacob begins to see himself as he really is. Let's look at it together. First, the world as it really is. Look at verses 10 and 11. Jacob left Beersheba and went to Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. Have you ever been on a trip and either you didn't get as far as you thought you would in that day? Or maybe you had some car trouble, your car broke down, you had to stay somewhere unexpected. Has that ever happened to you? Well, that's Jacob here. He's heading to Haran. It's about 450 miles from Beersheba. He's not going to make it in one night. He's not going to make it in 20 nights. Now, I imagine Jacob was pretty scared. Lots of dangers out there in the dark. Had Esau followed him? Were there bandits on this road? Wild beasts? I imagine it took a while to fall asleep. It was the kind of night where you analyze every sound. But when he did finally fall asleep, something utterly unexpected for Jacob happened. 
Look at verse 12 and 13. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set upon the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord himself stood above it and said, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, the God of Abraham your father and the God of Isaac. Can you imagine this scene? Have you ever had a dream so vivid that when you wake up, it takes 10, 15 minutes to figure out if it was real or not? It's unnerving, isn't it? Did I really say that to that person? Did I really buy that? You go out to the driveway to make sure there's not a brand new $70,000 vehicle vehicle, because in your dream you bought it and you felt good about it. Jacob dreams and he sees heaven opened, opened before him and a great ladder or stairway set up on the earth. And that's not it. The angels of God are ascending and descending on this ladder. Jacob has a big problem. Remember what came just before this dream in chapter 27. Jacob is in the middle of his scheme to rob Esau of the blessing. And Isaac, who's getting suspicion, he says something like, this isn't right. How did you do this so fast? How'd you do this so quickly? How'd you go kill game and cook it in just a matter of minutes? And what does Jacob say? Because Yahweh, your God, granted me success. Mm. He's just co-opted the name of God, the covenant name of God into his lie. When Jacob was lying and telling Isaac that the Lord had granted him success, at that moment, how far away do you think Jacob thought Yahweh was? Hmm? I don't think he believes in Yahweh at all. And if if there is a Yahweh, he's way up in heaven, totally disinterested in the affairs of men. But while he dreams, Jacob gets a wake-up call. There is a Yahweh, and he's very interested in the affairs of men. Jacob sees this ladder, and the text says the ladder is set up on the earth, and the top of the ladder reaches heaven. The Lord stands there, and angels are ascending and descending on the ladder. The gym where I used to work out, it had this machine called Jacob's Ladder. Now, the ladder at the gym, it was less ladder and more torture device. You climb and you climb, but you never get anywhere. You feel the burn, but it doesn't take you anywhere. Not this ladder. This Jacob's Ladder is different. This ladder has great significance. These angels are the messengers of God. They're going out with God's commands and they're returning to the top of the ladder with reports of what they've done and found. And at the top of the ladder stands the Lord himself, sending and receiving angels in their various missions. Unlike the world Jacob had constructed in his mind, the world as it really is, the world as God made it, It's the arena of his glory. It's the stage on which God's story plays out. God is intimately interested and involved in the lives of men and women. Let me say it like this. There is more to this world than meets the eye. God is at work 
Jesus said in John 5, 17, my father is working until now and I am working. Are you living life like you are just meandering from Beersheba to Haran? Not expecting God to show up at all? Tomorrow at work, will you live as if heaven is all closed up and God is distant? Or will you walk into the boardroom and see behind your boss's chair a ladder stretched from earth to heaven and the Lord himself standing at the top directing history and the lives of men and women? When you serve a customer, will you stare at the floor, give them what they came for, put the money, scan, tap the card, and let them go on their way? Or will you see that person as a soul standing before God in need of His mercy and grace? Even at this very moment, will you begin to see the world differently than you did 10 minutes ago? Will you be arrested with awe that the world is not as mundane as you thought it was? Jacob's mind was arrested with the glory and reality that Yahweh is the living God. Now look at verse 16. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. That statement has haunted me this week in a very good way. What a confession. Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. Let me paraphrase. I have been such a fool. (laughs) Yahweh is the true and living God and he sees me. How could I have thrown God's name around so flippantly? God is true. I am a liar. I hope there is someone here this morning. I truly hope and I pray this. But before you leave this room, whether by the preached word, by the songs we've sung, by the fellowship that you've seen, by the supper that we will celebrate, by some act of God, for the first time you will say, surely God is real and I did not know it. So yes, Jacob has a big problem. Or so he thinks. You see, Jacob is now seeing the world as it really is having both physical and spiritual or eternal aspects. But this new realization, it's not good news for scoundrels. The world as it really is, is not a safe place for people like you and me. God is true. God is holy. God is powerful. God is real. Jacob is false. Jacob is tricksy. Jacob is a sinful soul, naked before the living God. Can you imagine the fear and despair Jacob would have experienced if the dream had ended there? Jacob has begun to see the world as it really is. It's not a safe place for him. But before Jacob can run again, something happens. God speaks. And when God speaks, Jacob begins to see who God really is. You see, that's the key. God speaks so we will know who he really is. 
When I was a kid, I remember a speaker at a youth event telling us that the Bible is God's instruction book for living a good life. Listen, there's much instruction in the Bible that shows you what a good life would look like. There is. But if you came here this morning looking for self-help or looking for bare morality, let me let you in on something. The Bible is not a best practices manual. The Bible is God's self-revelation. Jesus says in John 4, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. As one of my professors once said, the only way you can know a spirit is if the spirit reveals himself to you. And that is exactly what God has done in the Bible. Yes, Paul says in Romans 1, there are some attributes of God, such as His eternal power and His glory, things that we, can, that we can attain just from looking at His glory in nature, the wonder of His creation. But there are things that nature cannot tell you about God. For instance, without the Scriptures, we would not know the name by which God wants to be called. We would not know that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We would not know that He is merciful. Or that he loves us. You see, the scriptures are revealing those things about God that we cannot know from nature. That's what happens to Jacob here in verses 13 through 15. God identifies himself. He reveals who he is by speaking his word. He's not Baal. He's not the moon god of Mesopotamia. He's not any of the gods of the Canaanites. Look at verse 13. God says, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. And then God repeats the promises he had previously made to Abraham and Isaac. And that's where Jacob gets floored. You see, now the promises made to his fathers are made to him. Do you think Jacob is amazed that the way he has lived his life has not disqualified him from the promise? I think Jacob is amazed at this moment that the promises are for him. But it gets better. I mean, it gets better. You see, God repeats the promises he made to Abraham, but then he expands the promise. More blessing. Yes, Jacob will, be, will have countless offspring. Yes, Jacob will become the father of a great nation. Yes, the Lord will give this land where he sleeps and wakes to his descendants. And yes, all the families of earth will be blessed in Jacob. But look at verse 15. This is a grace beyond words. God says to Jacob, behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I've done what I have promised you. That is a grace beyond words. You know, as far as we know, Jacob left Beersheba alone. The scripture does not mention any companions. You can't make an argument from silence, but as far as we know, he's by himself. It would have been dangerous to travel alone. And it would have been, by definition, very lonely. 
Have you ever run from your past? Have you ever been alone with your regrets and your sorrows? Jacob has something like 400 miles to go for that sort of thing. This promise of God is an act of sheer grace for a broken, lonely soul. He promises to be with Jacob and to keep him and to, no matter what happens, bring him back safely to the land of promise. Jacob's beginning to see the world as it really is. He's beginning to see who God really is. And who is this God? He's a God who reveals himself by his word. He's a God who is intimately interested and involved in the lives of men and women. He's the God who keeps and expands promises. Yahweh is the God who never leaves his people. He's the God who is really there. Yahweh is the God who shows his love to scoundrels. Jacob is surprised to find out who God really is. And as he sees who God really is, Jacob finally begins to see himself. Finally begins to see himself. In chapter 1 of Calvin's Institutes, he writes this. Listen carefully. It is evident that man never attains to a true self-knowledge until he has previously contemplated the face of God and come down after such contemplation to look in himself for such is our innate pride. We always see ourselves as just and upright and wise and holy until we are convinced by the clear evidence of our injustice and vileness and folly and impurity. In other words, you won't even begin to see yourself clearly until you begin to see God clearly. Now those who know the scriptures that you might think of Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6, Isaiah is caught up and he sees a vision of the Lord high and lifted up, sitting on his throne in all of his glory. And what is his response? Do you remember? Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst a people of unclean lips. Isaiah may have felt pretty good about himself until he saw the Lord in all his glory. And his response, as Calvin put it, was a true self-knowledge. I think that's what happens to Jacob here. Look again at Jacob's response in verses 16 and 17. Look at your passage. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. This true knowledge of God, it, it immediately leads Jacob to a more clear knowledge of who he is before God. How do we know? It's because of what he does next. He worships. Look at verse 18. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and he set it up for a pillar and he poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel. Bethel means the house of God. 
But the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Listen, some commentators see this vow as just another effort by Jacob to swindle, to make a bargain. But others see it as a true beginning of real change in his life. And that's what I think. Listen, we're just beginning, just beginning to watch this transformation in the heart of Jacob. Over the next few weeks, we're going to see more dishonesty and scheming from him. His life's going to take many turns, but something is beginning to change in Jacob from this experience. Seeing God as he really is has had a profound effect on Jacob. In his vow, Jacob says two things that lead me to believe there's true change happening. First, he says, the Lord shall be my God. It's interesting to me. Look back at verse 13. How does God describe himself? I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. Whose name is missing from that familiar formula that we see all over the Old Testament? Jacob's name is missing. But when we get to Exodus 3, how does God reveal himself to Moses at the burning bush? He says this, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, And the God of Jacob. What hope in those words. What hope in those words that God would describe himself as the God of Jacob. Let me ask you, in light of this passage, how did God become the God of Jacob? Was Jacob out looking for God? No, God was out looking for Jacob. What an act of grace. So the first evidence we see is that Jacob is at least beginning to, he's at least beginning to see God not only as the God of his fathers, but also as his God too. And secondly, in the vow, Jacob commits to give a full tenth of all that God gives him back. Don't worry, this is not a sermon about tithing. But isn't it interesting? Jacob's overwhelmed. He's beginning to understand he's utterly dependent on the grace of God. This tithing commitment is a sign that he realizes it. He's dependent on God for everything. What about you? Have you begun to see the world as it really is? Have you begun to see God as he truly is? Do you see yourself and everyone you meet as souls living before a holy God? You won't be able to wade through the ever-growing pile of nonsense being thrust in front of you unless you learn to see the world as it truly is 
through this word. You won't see God as he truly is unless he reveals himself to you in his word. You won't begin to see yourself as you truly are before him until you hold this up as a mirror and see yourself as God reveals us to be in his word. We, like Jacob, do not deserve for God to keep us. We, like Jacob, do not have the lives that deserve for God to be our God. This world where the holy God sees all and directs all, it's not a safe place for scoundrels like you and me. How can we know that the promise God made to Jacob is also for us? How do we know that despite our sin, God will never leave us or forsake us? This is why. Because Jesus is who he really is. I hope that brings a smile to your face. I hope that name is loaded with so much hope to you that you know that God will never leave you or forsake you in Christ because Jesus is who he really is. I believe the word of God is about to arrest our hearts with awe and wonder at this moment at who Jesus really is. Pay attention. In John 1, 51, Jesus is talking to Nathanael. Jesus tells Nathanael something only a prophet could know. And Nathanael says, you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. And Jesus says to Nathanael, you will see greater things than these, my friend. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened. And the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Friends, Jesus Christ is the bridge between earth and heaven. Jacob's eyes were opened to a greater reality than he dared imagine. God is at work in the world. And there is a connection between earth and heaven. And when Jacob awoke from his dream, he exclaimed, This is none other than the house of God. Jesus said of the temple, the house of God, tear down this temple and I will rebuild it in three days, which he said about his own body. When Jacob awoke, he said, this is the gate of heaven. Jesus said, I am the gate for the sheep. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. Jesus is the ladder. Jesus is the bridge between earth and heaven. He is the true temple and the house of God. Jesus Christ is the gate for his sheep, but that's not all. Jacob said in his vow, if you will just give me bread to eat, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Jacob said, if you will give me clothes to wear, the scripture said Jesus Christ clothes his people with his own righteousness. Jacob wanted God to keep him in the way he was going. Jesus said, I am the way. Jacob wanted God to return him to his father's house in peace. And Jesus said these words, In my father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. Everything Jacob saw in Bethel, everything he longed for, everything he asked for in his vow was ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Is your heart lonely this morning? 
Jesus is the friend who sticks closer than a brother. Are you carrying the burden of your sin? Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Have you realized you can never climb to God? Friend, that is not your ladder. Jesus has come down to us. Out there, you're a hopeless wanderer. In Jesus Christ, you are a beloved child. Jesus said, I have come down from heaven to do the will of him who sent me. What was the will that God sent Jesus Christ to to accomplish? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Friend, this is the world as it really is. All the promises of God find their yes and their amen in Jesus Christ. This is God who he really is. Holy, merciful, offering Jesus Christ to sinners. This is who we are. Hopeless, restless wanderers until we find our home in Jesus Christ. If you are here this morning and you have not responded to Jesus and said, My Lord and my God, let me offer this solemn warning to you. Even now a ladder remains set upon the earth. Even now. Jesus Christ has ascended to the right hand of the Father and he rules and reigns. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is still being proclaimed on the earth. It's being proclaimed to you now. His word still goes out from his mouth by the preaching and teaching of his scriptures. The spirit of Jesus is moving even now, accomplishing all that God intends. On the cross, Jesus paid the price for sin for all who would believe in him. The holy God who stands at the top of that ladder was pleased to accept the righteous life of Jesus as payment for the sin of scoundrels like you and me. Even this morning, I proclaim it to you. Jesus is the bridge from heaven to earth. And one day, figuratively speaking, that ladder is going to be pulled up. No man knows the day or the hour, but these are the days of the free offer of the gospel of Jesus Christ to you. Remember the words of Jacob this morning. Surely God is in this place, and I did not know it. If you're holding out for some other path or some other answer or some other Savior, let me commend Jesus Christ to you. And I will let him have the last word. From John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you revealed yourself to people through your word. We know you are holy and the world would not be safe for us were it not for the love and the sacrifice and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we long for his return. We look to his coming, but Father, there are some this morning who are not ready. Ready them by the preaching of your word and the power of your spirit, that they would take hold of Jesus Christ even now. We pray in his name. Amen.